0: This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. We're talking about a series, we're doing a series, I'm concluding it today, about successful families. Successful families. And what we're doing is we've been looking to see what the scriptures say about what a successful family looks like. Now, we're not looking for a perfect family because that perfect family is in heaven. Amen? You know, I, through the years, you know, uh, after 41 years, you know, of doing this, I've heard people say, you know, well, we're just, we're looking, you know, we want to find that perfect church. Well, I, you know, I want to say, are you ready to die? Because the perfect church is in heaven. Pete Shepard, God bless you, man. Great to have you. Love you, brother. Y'all excuse me, but we go way back. (laughs) Pete was here in the church for many years before he moved up to Birmingham in a great church up there. Pastor Scott, good to have you, brother. But you know, the only perfect church is in heaven, isn't it? So we're talking about successful churches. And I believe successful churches mean what? That we, we bring ourselves into a, a, a agreement, into harmony, into alignment with what the Scriptures have to say about the family. Now, I know we, you know, we live in a day now you know, with all the, the gender and transgender roles and all of that confusion coming out you know, in our culture and everything. And it's, I'm telling you, it's creating havoc with families it's creating havoc, with our culture, with, with people's identity roles, all kinds of things. And, I, you know, I don't have time to get, if I get into all that, we, this series would go to the end of the year, so we're not going to go there. So we talked about it, we introduced that, and then last week we talked about the role of the man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you weren't here... You can go on our website, and the podcast is there, and you can listen to that. And I would encourage you, married men, go and listen to that. Engaged young men or engaged older men, go and listen to that. It will be good for you. You know why it's good for you? Not because I taught it, but because it's God's Word. So we talked about that. So today we're going to talk about the role of the woman. All right, guys. All six of y'all, back me up out there now. It takes a whole lot of faith to get up here and talk about this. I want to begin, though, by reading Proverbs 31. Good woman is hard to find and worth far more than diamonds. Her husband trusts her without reserve and never has a reason to regret it. Never spiteful, she treats him generously all her life long. She shops around for the best yarns and cottons and enjoys knitting and sewing. She likes. A tr- she is like a trading ship that sails to faraway places and brings back exotic surprises. She's up before dawn preparing breakfast for her family and organizing her day. She looks over a field and buys it. Then with money she puts aside, plants a garden. First thing in the morning she dresses for work, rolls up her sleeves, eager to get started. She senses the worth of her work is in no hurry to call it quits for the day. She's skilled in the crafts of home and hearth, diligent in homemaking. She's quick to assist anyone in need, reaches out to help the poor. She doesn't worry about her family when it snows, their winter clothes are all mended and ready to wear. She makes her own clothing and dresses in colorful linens and silks, Her husband is greatly respected when he deliberates with the city fathers. She designs gowns and sells them, brings a sweater she knits to the the dress shops. Her clothes are well made and elegant, and she always faces tomorrow with a smile. When she speaks, she has something worthwhile to say, and she always says it kindly. She keeps an eye on everyone in her household and keeps them all busy and productive. Her children respect and bless her. Her husband joins in with words of praise. Many women have done wonderful things, but you've outclassed them all. Charm can mislead, and beauty soon fades. The woman to be admired and prayed is a woman who lives in the fear of God. Give her everything she deserves. Festoon her life with praises. That's Proverbs 31 from the message. I like that, don't you? Amen. Well, there's a lot we can glean from the Scriptures about the role of the woman. You know, one of the first things we learn about the role of the woman is back in Genesis Genesis 2.18. That is, she was created by God to be a helper for her husband. You know, at the wedding so- ceremony that I do, I, I talk to the, the bride and groom, and I, 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 I use this, uh, this quote from, from Kenneth Copeland's marriage ceremony. It's, it's so very good. But, he, you know, he says that, you know, from the Scriptures that, you know, God didn't uh, take a part of Adam's feet to make the woman. She's not to be under the man's feet. She, he, she, he didn't take a part of man's head to make the woman so that she would rule over him. But she, he did take her from the side, the rib, what? so that what? she could stand beside him. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, and we we talked about roles. Roles have nothing to do with my identity. I'm talking about R-O-L-E, not (laughs) R-O-L-L. What, you know, God each one of us has a role, but that doesn't make any one of us better than someone else. I mean, did Jesus how much of Jesus died for you? I mean, you, 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 can we divide Jesus up? Can we separate the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and say this much was for this one and this much was for that one? This was for this race, this was for that race, or this was for this gender, or this was. No, it's for all of us. God so loved the world, didn't He? That's all of us, warts and all. He loves us. And so when we talk about the roles that we play, don't let that be confused with your identity of who you are. See, I can get down and serve and scrub the floors and everything in my house. It doesn't mean, make me less of a king before God. I'm still a priest. I'm still a king. Satan's still under my feet. Come on. Oh, a helper. This word, the helper to your husband, in Genesis two and verse 18. It says the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That word there translated helper means to aid. It means to be a counterpart. In other words, you you know nowadays, this this stuff with the transgender is so crazy, you know. Really what what it's coming down to, you know, if, if, if I'm like shopping at Target or something and I decide today that, you know, that I'm a woman, I can go in the woman's restroom. And if you don't let me use it, I'm going to sue you. You know, it's whatever gender I decide I am. I'm feeling like I'm a woman today. Good grace of life. He said, it's a counterpart. It's a counterpart. I'm glad that God made a counterpart for us. Aren't you men? Yes. Amen. It's a, it means the other side. <laughs> you know, sometimes, men, there's a other side to things at home, isn't there? <laughs> To stand out boldly as opposite, <laughs> you guys aren't helping me a bit. A bunch of wimps. So there, there's that opposite. But you know, women have an opposite point of view. They see things differently. They sense things differently. That's the, way, that, that's the way God made them. It doesn't mean that their point of view is better than our point of view or our point of view is better than their point of view. It means that both point of views are better than either point of views. Was that diplomatic enough? <laughs> well, it's true. Isn't that right? I remember when uh, back uh, in college many years ago, now I could almost say decades, but I'm not going to say that. By the way, my alma mater won last night. Jack, state go, beat the mocks, stomp them moccasins. But, you know, years ago, I was working my way through college, different jobs. One of the jobs I worked was construction, and I was a helper. Now, you know, what a helper does is he helps. He doesn't do it, but he helps. So, you know, uh, they were laying brick and stuff. You know, what I got the help to do was I didn't jump up there. You know, and say, hey, I got, t-, and tell the master bricklayer, hey, I got this. You know, he said, here's what you got. He said, get on the other end of that shovel and that hoe and start mixing up some concrete. Because we didn't have one of those nice, you know, with the, where they mixed it, you know, and it ran on the gas engine that you see nowadays. We had this big, long pan. Pastor Ed, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And we mixed it up from scratch. Me too, brother. And then you toted it around either in a wheelbarrow or if you had to go up the ladder in five-gallon buckets. Oh, yeah. That's called W-O-R-K. <laughs> but, you know, I was the helper. I wasn't the doer. I was the helper. And, you know, the thing about a role is is, is, is when we each one of us in our place, the Scriptures teach us this about the family of God just like the nuclear family, like the family we're in, that each one taking their place, the whole body, all its needs are met. It, it, is, it becomes a place of harmony, of peace, of growth, of discovery, and of blessing. And that's all it's about. It's about. But as soon as you start taking... I mean, it's just like your car. What if you put water in the gas tank and gas in the radiator? The, all the components are there. Same components. What's the difference? You know, we just—you know—today I feel like I'm going to put gas in a radiator and water in the gas tank. It's <clears throat> still got water and gas, in. it's going to work okay, isn't it? Why? Because we're, you know, each one of them have an important role to play. You can say, "Well, the gas is more important than the radiator." Well, you've never had a car overheat. <laughs> you ain't going nowhere. They're both important. But they're only important if they're in the place that they were created, intended to be. That's what it's about. So it's not about if I do this, this makes me more important. Actually, Jesus said this. He said, the most important one among you will be be the one who serves the most. But see, in the world, they turned that the other way. The most important is the one who everybody else, you serve me. The tremendous one of the ways that the woman has a, uh, and the wife in the home has a, uh, a tremendous uh, way that she can help, and it you know it's a two-edged thing, but she her words and her encouragement have a tremendous power to influence that man. Come on, nobody listen, ladies. Nobody's words will be as helpful or as harmful to your man as yours. It's a fact. Oh, he don't ever listen to me. Oh, yes, he does. He may pretend he don't, but I promise you, he hears every word. Come on. He does. And you know, if they're they're hurtful words, if they're words that tear him down instead of building him up, you know, we hear enough negative, don't we? Come on. Liz. Yeah, but you don't know. I'm just telling it like it is. Well, then you need to start speaking by faith over him. The Bible doesn't say call those things that are as though they were. That's not faith. That's just, that's just telling it like it is. But we're people of faith, aren't we? And Jesus said, you know, he said that people of faith, we call things that be not just like God as though they were. Well, that's what God's doing with you and I, isn't he? I mean, when you read what God says in this book and you try, sometimes you measure it up by your actions, it might be look a little bit different. You ever been in a, you, remember those old fun house mirror places you used to go through? I don't even know if they still have them anymore, but you know, they had all these mirrors made different ways. You know, you could go in, one would make you look real tall and skinny and one would make you like that, you know, one or make you real short. And, you know, that's, that's the thing about it. You know, so many people, they're like in a fun house. And so many men are in this place. And when they look, they're looking in a prism, in a, in a mirror that is warped, that is wrong. But they think, this is the way I am. This is the way I look. And you know what? They need somebody that can tell them, look, that's not who you really are. This is who you really are. This is who you really are. You're a person of worth, you're a person redeemed by God. You're called to be the head of this house. You, you, you can succeed. you can make a living. You can make the right decisions. God will give you wisdom instead of Wah, rah, 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 rah. Not that any of y'all do that, but if you know somebody. So you can make or break your husband's spirit with your words. Absolutely. Now here's one that goes over real well. Respect your husband. Ooh. (laughs) All the single ladies said yes. (laughs) And all the married ladies are quiet. (laughs) Ephesians 5, 33. Listen to what he says here. He says, now remember we talked about last week. Remember, if you weren't here, I talked about last week. The men love your wives as Christ loved the church. See, it's not an either-or thing here. You want your wife to respect you, then you know what you need to do? Love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I promise you, guys, you start loving your wife that way, it's going to make it a whole lot easier for her to respect you. Thank you for those holy grunts. Lord, why do you lead me to teach on these topics? Faith and healing. That's me. Now, listen to this. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. Ooh. As he loves himself. Some of you guys buying yourself them toys. What are you buying your wife? And the wife must respect her husband. Ooh. Respect. Here's what it means to revere to regard Him, listen, to honor Him by appreciating what He does, to esteem Him, value His wisdom, in short, just to be His biggest cheerleader. Be His biggest cheerleader. Because I'm going to tell you what, the enemy is always doing this. Oh, yeah, he may, you know, the, the guy, may, he may look self-assured, confident on the outside, and he's got it all together, but I promise you the enemy's doing this. Right up here on one of his shoulders. You're just a bum. You can't do it. What are you doing? He's always talking. You say, how do you know? Because he talks to me that way. And just like God, the devil's no respecter of person. So I know if he's talking to me that way, he's talking to you that way. He's telling you you can't do it. You can't be, you can't be this husband or you can't be this wife. That's a lie from the enemy. And you need to recognize that right away. I believe this, that we can do anything God says we can do. If He says for men to love their wives as themselves, we can do it, men. If He says, uh, wives, you must respect your husbands, you know what? You can do it. You can do it. Thirdly, love your husband. It's unconditional. That means accept him as he is. Now, how many of you ladies that has been married for at least over ten years have found out you're not going to really change Him? Can I get a witness? Did I see two, three bold hands? Four bold hands. <laughs> the rest of y'all are pleading the fifth, aren't you? <laughs> but here's the thing. It's, listen, God's job, God's role is to change us, him and her. It's not my role to change my wife. It's not the wife's role to change the husband. That's God. But now here's the thing. We, what we say, how we treat them, the way we pray for them, the words that we say to them can help that process or it can hinder that process. And that goes, remember we said love's not about a feeling. Again, you know, in our society, you know, they've reduced love to some emotional thing. Well, I fell in love and then I fell out of love. Holy cow! You see that out in Hollywood, don't you? Well, I, you know, I, I, you know, one week they fell in love, and the other next week they fell out of love. Listen, where in the world we get the idea it's about falling anywhere? I don't even know where that comes. It's not biblical. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. It's not about a feeling. Thank you for your enthusiasm. See if it's about a feeling. I'm telling you what feelings are like. You know, like South Florida weather. They change. You know, from morning to evening. You get up, it's sunny and bright. By that afternoon, it's coming a toad strangler. Know what a toad strangler is, don't you? That's a hard rain. (laughs) So you know, we don't go by feelings. It's about a commitment. And see, you you must learn this because God's God's not loving you because He's got some warm feeling towards you. He loves you because what? Number one, He is love. But also, He has made a commitment to love you and nothing can change that. The enemy wants to tell you love is is connected either to a condition or a feeling. He tries to do that. So you feel a certain way, I oh, don't guess God don't love me no more. And then we take that over into our marriage and we have a certain feeling. And we say, well, I just don't feel like I did, you know, on the honeymoon. That's it. <laughs> you get over it. Make a commitment. Love's about a commitment. We're committed to one another. This goes on to what? talks about satisfying one another's physical needs. 1 Corinthians. I know it'll get quiet in here now. You mentioned the S-E-X word in church. That's why we got a lot of problems out in the world, because we leave a vacuum there, and the world becomes the expert at it. Because, you know, I mean, we church people, we don't want to talk about that. 1 Corinthians 7 We are committed in a in a marriage relationship, a husband and wife, we're committed to meeting that sexual need that God placed in each gender. Amen? It's Adam and Eve. It's not Adam and Steve. I know. I know. Listen, you know, and you make a statement like that, and people say, oh, you're a homophobe. No, I'm not. I, I love the homosexuals. I do. I love them. So, listen, some of the, the kindest, sweetest, gentlest people you'll ever meet. Some of the most giving people you ever meet. But their lifestyle's wrong. It's just wrong. It's not the way God created it. You know? Now, see, we all have sinned. That might not have been your sin, but my sin was just as bad as theirs. See, theirs is not worse than mine. Are you listening to me? Lord of mercy. I mean, my picture could have been by the word sin before I got saved. I told you that. So I'm not, you know, we're not here judging this one worse than that one. But you know, it is what it is. And whatever the Bible says it is, that's how it is. And we don't say that maliciously, but we say that because what? That's what God says. And you know, I sometimes I'm reading in this Bible, and man, I'm gonna tell you what it cuts cost grain of me. And you know what I gotta do? I got I gotta repent. I gotta get myself straightened up, and I gotta line up with this word just like anybody else. Isn't that right? Absolutely. So we're not we're not selecting this sin as worse than the others. But here's what it is. And you know, here's the other side of that: sex outside of marriage is wrong. That's just as wrong as the homosexual lifestyle. Just as wrong. Just as big a sin. Are you listening to me? I, I, I tell people all the time, how dead is dead? <laughs> any sin that sends you to hell, that's a bad sin, isn't it? So any sin will send you to hell. So no sin is bigger than the other sin. Except what? we made it that way maybe in our minds. But here's the thing. The church needs to not only say, hey, this is the standard, but also to reach out with unconditional love and say, you know what? You come to Jesus. He's got the cure. He's got the remedy. Just like He had the remedy for my sins that were just as bad as yours, He's got the remedy for yours. Isn't that right? Rather than saying, well, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. That's kind of like, you know, if you were driving on a a lonely Country road, and, and, and man, all of a sudden, you know, at night or something, and you all of a sudden you just screeched on your brakes, and you stopped just about two feet from where a bridge was out. And man, you're getting out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Woo, You know, but then, you know, you know other, you see other people come and say, you know what, man, I'm, they might get mad at me. If I tell them to stop, if I jump out there and start hollering bridge out, they're going to get mad at me. Would you think that you wouldn't, would you? No. You'd be like, you know, you'd probably pull your car, block the lane if you could. You'd be out there getting people to stop. That's all we're saying. It's stop. Stop. The you know, This road leads to a bad place. Just like the road I was on led to a bad place. Amen. So, as, as a husband and wife, what? God set up the marriage uh, between a, a man and a woman. What? So that what? We can satisfy one another's emotional and physical needs. That's the way God made it. And in, a, in the marriage, but God says it is holy. There's nothing dirty about it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, let religious people try to make something uh, dirty about it because if it's dirty, then God's dirty. Is this too plain? All right, let me move on. Fourth, submit to his leadership. We're talking about the role of the woman in the marriage, in the family. Colossians 3, you're almost there. Turn right over there, a couple of books away, two or three books away here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So this word submit here, it doesn't mean blind obedience. And we talked last week from Ephesians where he said, submit one to another. Then he said, husband, wives, submit to your husbands. What? It's about a role. It's not about being inferior. It's about roles that we have within the marriage, the family structure, and we submit to one another, but then in certain areas, the wife submits to her husband. Are you listening? You say, well, you don't know my husband. I know. I don't. But God does, and he's the one that said this. Doesn't God know your husband? Yeah. I said, yeah. Woo! We said that Christianity is a walk of faith. Well, I'll tell you what. When he or she, when they get their act together, then I'll treat them with some respect. Then I'll love her. No. How did, how did God treat us? While we were yet sinners, God said, y'all get your act together and I'll come down there. No, He didn't. While we were all yet sinners, Christ. If you're going to do some of this, there's going to be some dying to yourself. And really, in the marriage relationship, you know, that's really what it's about. For it to work the way God intended it to work, there's going to have to be a whole lot of dying to self and serving each other. You know, you do, if, you, if you've ever done any marriage counseling, you know, usually it boils down to this, either one, usually both, you've got two selfish people, and, they, they, and for the life of them, they can't understand why they're having a problem. I listened to them two minutes and I already know why you got a problem. You're stuck on yourself. <laughs> You're all hung up on yourself too much. I've been hurt and I've been this. And I, and he didn't do this and she didn't do that. And yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So we're not talking about blind obedience, but we're talking about when it comes to the husband's role it, it, that God has, uh, has, has placed him in in the family. You, you know, we need to learn to submit and to follow in that. Are you listening? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Someone has to lead. Now, I know you're probably all sanctified, but you may have danced before you came to the Lord. Anybody, you know, are you see, anybody seen dancing on TV? Especially, you know, the, the, the kind of like ballroom t- style dancing, that kind of thing. You know, you know, now, whenever a couple dance like that, somebody has to lead and somebody has to. And what happens if they both try to lead? What <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's not nearly as pretty, is it? It's not nearly as graceful, is it? And see, when you get two people. Now let me let me just say this. I'll say this much in defense of some wives. You you know, if you've got a passive husband, it's a real temptation for you to want to jump in there and lead. Are you listening? And you've got to fight that temptation. And you've got to pray for him and you've got to encourage him to step into that role. Not nag him. Nagging is not encouraging. My brother. One brave man. I might have you come up here and stand with me. It gets awful lonesome when you start talking like this. But it's true, ladies. You're not going to change them by nagging. You know what you're going to do? He's going to dig his heels in further. Any of you ladies that know what I'm talking about, say amen. Okay. The guide in the home. The woman is to guide the home. In uh Titus, I've got to close here real quick. I may not get through with this, but Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, we'll back up to 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands. Ooh. And children to be self controlled. but I just got to give him a piece of my mind. He needs some help. And pure to be busy at home. Mm. To be kind. To be subject to their husbands. Woo, tear that out. So that no one will malign the word of God. Amen. One translation says that they are to what? They are to to rule the home. They are to guide the home. They are to, to make sure that there's harmony, that there's peace in the home, that the home w- operates, uh, you know, in a harmonious way. You ever been in a house where there's chaos? Oh, my gosh, that's fun, isn't it? You know, you come in there and it's just, you know, the house is wrecked and the kids are screaming and everything's going on. You're like, ah, you know. And she's, you know, in front of the TV watching, you know, as her stomach turns. None of y'all. Of course, I guess today I'd have to say you're on the internet or whatever. I don't know. Whatever's appropriate. But guide the home. Create an environment of harmony and order, ladies. You. You, God has given you a, a role and a personality that can bring order and harmony, but at the same time can create an environment of nurturing. You know, now, guys, we can bring order. Get over here, straighten your two. I don't know how much harmony it would be, but we can straighten them out. My dad was military man. He could bring order. If something was going on, dad came in the room, there was order all right. Heads might roll, but there was order. (laughs) You know? But, you know, God has made you in such a way. He says, help teach and train the children. Help teach and train the children. You know, uh, Cindy's retired now, but she was a teacher for for over 30 years. And I'm going to tell you, got any teachers in here? Any problems in the classroom? Classroom (laughs) behavior? Dare you speak out? Oh, yeah, man. Cindy would come home, it's like, oh, man. You know, I can't teach for trying to just keep order in the classroom. Kids, don't, they don't have any manners. They don't, they're not taught respect. You know where that begins? It begins at home. That's not the church's responsibility. It's not the church, school's responsibility. That's our responsibility at home. We should be teaching and training them there, both the husband and the wife, working together to teach our children to respect people. To have respect, you know, if you can't respect others, I can, I'm pretty sure you're not going to respect yourself either. It's just not going to be there. Now, I know this is not jumping over the seat preaching, but you know what? We need this in the home. If we didn't need it, God wouldn't have put it in the Word, would He? So help teach and train them. In 1 Timothy five fourteen, read this one real quickly. Listen to this. <clears throat> It says, so I counsel younger widows to marry, have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. To manage the home. We read there in Proverbs 31, boy, that was a woman that was managing her home. That was a woman, too. If you read that closely, I mean, this looked like she not only managed her home, but this was a working woman. She was designing gowns. She was, you know, buying land and selling it and planting a garden and doing all those kind of things. So that brings me to our last point real quickly here, and that is wives and moms in the workplace. You know, because we've got uh, any, anybody, any working moms in here? Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. Just about everybody. Or, or maybe you're not now, but you, you were a working mom along with all the other who are now. That's just about everybody. Now, listen, that makes it difficult. That makes it really difficult. You know, I grew up, you know, in a home. Uh, my mom and dad were separated when I was in third grade. And I had a younger brother. And mom, eventually, she, she had to go to work herself. And that was before we had any of the terms like latch key and all these after school programs and all that. You know, I came home, my little brother, we got off the bus and, you know, and, and I'm like, What, I'm like nine and he's four. I mean, you know, you just do what you got to (laughs) do. So you got a nine-year-old looking after a four-year-old. That probably didn't go too well. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's hard to manage, isn't it? You work all day. You're out in the workforce. You're out there. Your energy gets drained. Your everything, uh, you know, uh, is just zapped from you. It seems like. and Then you got to come home and you got to try to take care of the kids and cook the meal and do. The, you know, I mean, you know, you're like the. You seen the donut commercial where the guy meets himself coming? He's. I got to make the donuts and he opens the door and he meets himself. I just made the donuts. So there are many single moms and wives who are working outside the home either of necessity or desire. And the the problem is the demands cause their priorities to get all scrambled around. Because you've got to have the energy and you've got to have the patience when you get home after dealing. might be with a classroom of unruly students all day or it could be. Uh, working on a, in a high-pressure situation, you got deadlines, you got a project that you're working on, whatever it might be. Any kind could be any kind of situations that really, really drain you emotionally and and also physically. And then you come home and you got you're trying to take care of kids and and, and maybe uh, a husband too. Boy, that's that's a tough thing to go. And it's going to take the grace of God. There's no question about it. It's going to take the grace of God and the strength of God for you to be able to do that. And let me just interject that if to the husbands with working wives help out at home. Oh but I worked hard today so did she. But I'm tired I don't want help out with junior. Help out and do something. If you're not a cook, you certainly are a dishwasher. Boy, this is going over, isn't it? Come on. You need to help. I said you need to help. You like that extra income? You like that lifestyle? You need to help. Because, you know, here's the thing. You need to do it for the kids if you've got kids at home. And you need to do it for your wife, too. Because you know what that says? I appreciate and value what you're doing. I got the single lady up here. she's rooting me on. <laughs> you ain't got you ain't got nothing to worry about. You can cheer both sides, can't you? You know, but it is going to take. It's it's going to be it's going to be more difficult. You know, you're going to have to you're going to have to work together, and that's really what. we sum it up isn't it that we work together each one taking their roles and each one helping the other that we can cross over when we need to like the husbands if you've got a working wife that you can help out at home i guarantee you you know what you can run that that uh vacuum cleaner on that rug and you can be just as much a man won't diminish you one bit you can help wash them dishes you won't you won't feel the least bit feminine. <laughs> Come on, if we're not gonna rob you know your maleness by helping out, especially if your wife is working. The bottom line is this: that God has put us together in a family, and that family is there for mutual support, mutual encouragement to help raise those children that God's given us and to help really present a photograph, a picture of God's heavenly family. Not perfect, but one that is working by the grace of God. We're taking our place and we're presenting a pattern, a godly pattern, which is, and we really need it. There needs to be an alternative. Because nowadays, if you look at the culture, whatever whatever they define as family is beyond me. But you know what? We can present that to them. Not perfect, but a, f- a family where there's love, where there's re- there's respect, where there's mutual service and submission and, and raising our kids, teaching them the right thing, teaching them what they ought to do. And then you know what? We just bring that over into the family of God, don't we? Each of us have a role. Each of us have a place. Each of us have something to contribute and to do. Uh, you know, in the family of God as well, but it's got to start in the home. That's where we learn to serve. That's where we learn to love. That's where we learn to, to crucify, if you will, our own selves, our own needs. We put down our own wants and desires, and we put others first. If there's selfishness in the church, it's because there's selfishness in the home. You've, you show me a body of believers where nobody wants to serve. I'm going to show you a bunch of families where nobody is serving. Because that's where it starts. You, you learn to serve, and you've got that heart of commitment and love, the love of God to serve your family. When you get become a part of a family of God, you're going to serve. It's just, it's just who you are. It's just a part of who you are.